Is social media driving you crazy with all the changes? Learn from over 20 speakers at Social Media Summit Coeur Lane as they present their social media expertise at the Croc Center in Coeur Lane, September 21st to the 23rd. For more information or to reserve your seat today, visit smwcda.com. Now in its third year, Social Media Summit Coeur Lane and the Social Media Summit Inner Circle helping you untangle the web of social media marketing. It happens more times than we want, but it is a given. As business owners, we will have to navigate a storm. Navigate said storm to the best of our ability and hope for a positive outcome. We've had to do that through this coronavirus lockdown for sure, but sometimes the storm resides from within. We can try to prepare ourselves for whatever comes our way, but at the end of the day, we cannot predict every scenario. Zenefits chairman and CEO Jay Fulcher knew from day one he had his work cut out for him as he was asked in February 2017 to take over Silicon Valley's sweetheart, Zenefits, a company headquartered in San Francisco that offers cloud-based software as a service to companies for managing their human resources with a particular focus on helping them with health insurance coverage. On today's ingredients episode of the Business Buffet, Jay will share some of the challenges he faced and had to overcome and the major move he made within the first week of taking over. Welcome to another episode of the Business Buffet Ingredients, where we ask the experts questions that serve up a business and life-growing feast. Pull up a chair and get ready to eat hearty in business because the Business Buffet is now open. Welcome to another Ingredients episode of The Business Buffet. My name is Phil Anderson, and today we have the privilege of talking with Zenefits Chairman and CEO, Jay Fulcher. Jay's successful track record as CEO includes leading both public and private technology companies. And we know after hearing this conversation, you will gain insights that you can use that will benefit your business. Jay Fulcher is Chairman and CEO at Zenefits, a leading hypergrowth cloud human capital management, payroll, and benefits platforms serving more than 11,000 small and mid-sized companies with up to 1,000 employees. Zenefit's mission is to level the playing field for small business by delivering a people platform that helps them meet the challenges of the new world of work. Previously, Jay was CEO of Uyala, a groundbreaking online video company that helped usher in the personalized cloud TV market. During Jay's tenure as CEO, Uyala came to serve one of the largest online audiences anywhere with hundreds of customers in more than 30 countries, including media and consumer heavyweights, such as Bloomberg, DirecTV, ESPN, Foxtel, News Corp, Netflix, Univision, as well as the Pac-12 Network. Prior to Uyala, Jay was CEO of Agile Software, a public enterprise software company that pioneered the product life cycle management category. In addition to his CEO roles, Jay has held senior executive roles at PeopleSoft, Red Pepper Software, and SAP. Jay has an extensive and proven track record of delivering great returns for stakeholders and for leading high-growth, high-performance high-value business. Jay currently serves on the boards of Zenefits as chairman, Onclusive, and Splice Machine. 
He is a member of the Global Leadership Council for the San Jose State University Lucas Graduate School and College of Business, and is an advisor to several startups, venture capital, private equity firms, and investment banks. Jay is a devoted outdoorsman, sports fan, avid reader, and is perpetually curious. He has visited more than 60 countries and loves to travel the world. Jay, welcome to the Business Buffet. Thanks, Phil. Good to be here. So let's go ahead and start out with how you got hooked up as chairman and CEO of Zenefits. From what I recall, you had left Uyala with no immediate plans other than to maybe play some golf and taste some wine. What changed? Yeah, that was the plan for sure. Well, I, like you, um, as you said in your intro, I, I come out of that going, my God, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> I, I've been at this a while. I've been, I've been basically um, a, a part of, you know, a variety of different tech companies. I've been really a serial entrepreneur since uh, the late 80s. And um you know, most recently in the last 15 years or so, I've been a CEO and I sold my last company after actually selling the one before that and had thought I'd kind of closed the chapter on my operating career and had thought I would go on to maybe see if I couldn't work on my handicap and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and pursue some other things that, you know, I'm really interested in. And um, I got a call from the guys at Andreessen Horowitz. I've known Mark and Ben a long time. I was actually their first customer uh, when they were partners in a company called LoudCloud. And um, one of their partners was a guy named Lars Dalgard, who was the founder and CEO at Success Factors, which is now a part of SAP. And so the three of those guys got on the phone with me to, to see if, in fact, I would be willing to, um, you know, provide whatever I could in the way of, of some insight related to what was going on at Zenefits. And um, it, was, it was less of an overture around a CEO job, and it's a little bit more around, you know, would you come just look at the opportunity and tell us what you think? And I'm smart enough to know that it, I should have maybe understood it was maybe something more than that, but they had a slate of really good uh, CEOs that they were talking to. And I kind of had just assumed that, you know, one of those uh, men or women would be, would be taking the role. And um, I agreed to kind of take a look at things and meet some people and get a sense of what was going on with the business. And I, I think I should know myself better than maybe I do from time to time, but um, almost from the, from the moment that I started talking to people asking questions and understanding more about the, the Zenefits uh, business, you know, I became very enamored with what I thought the company was trying to do. I thought the mission and the purpose that the company had was just awesome. This notion of leveling the playing field for small and mid-sized businesses who have never had the advantages that the big companies have had in terms of technology and money and resources and sophistication providing these smaller businesses with some of these same capabilities, which is now possible because of technology. I just thought it was a really cool idea. And so it wasn't very long until, um, you know, it became pretty apparent to me that I thought it was a really neat opportunity. I let, I let the, the, the board at that time and the, and the firm know that. And what kind of came out of that was, um, 
you know, some questions from them about, so if you were the CEO, what would you do? And that kind of led to me then starting to roll up my sleeves and kind of think through how would I pivot the business? How would I change the business model? What sorts of financial changes would I make to the company? Um, and, and in what direction would you start to point this really interesting uh, kind of purpose-led business? And so I quickly built a plan over the course of about six or eight weeks. I did a little traveling. I talked to 100 customers. I talked to all the analysts in the space. You know, I, I tried to do some, some due diligence to the degree that you can do that in, in a couple of months. And um, basically um, asked them for the job. And uh, again, that was at a time when Zenibus was having some big compliance problems. You know, the, the company was in the, uh, in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. Right. And so I, I know uh, not just a number of people in my network, but even my own family was like, God, why would you want to go do this? What appears to be a really hard thing. And I remember saying to them, um, you know, just because it's hard doesn't mean I shouldn't go do it. Right. Uh, and maybe precisely because it's difficult, um, but worthwhile is kind of the reason to, to maybe take what I think I've learned and see what I could do to apply it to this business that I just thought had a ton of potential. So, so that's what I ended up doing. So that actually leads into my next question because Zenefits did have some issues when you joined, not yeah. just compliance either. Uh, you had to make some really drastic changes early on. I, I'm, I'm curious if you could walk us through that a little bit because I'm, I want to know how you went into prioritizing some of those decisions. From what I understand, Zenefits had around 1,500 employees and you did some, uh, some pruning to say the least. Yeah, like the, the my first, first week. week on the job. Yeah, we um, we let go of 420 employees. So it was actually on my third day. Wow. And uh, obviously, uh, during that that time that I told you, as we were leading up to eventually announcing my decision to to take the CEO job, um, a big part of what had to happen is the company needed to be resized, and it needed to be in some ways reimagined in terms of. Um, you know, the way that it was built and constructed and what needed to happen. And so for me, um, there were some immediate decisions that had to be made um, about the culture, about the business model itself, and also about uh, eventually, um, you know, the, the, the direction that we kind of wanted to take the company. And so um, let me maybe talk about those three things because I yeah. think that's kind of the yeah. underpinning of the Zenefit story. So first and foremost, you know, the, the culture really uh, needed to be shifted. Um, we, we did have some, some compliance issues, and we also had some other things where, for whatever reason, this is a company that's always been somewhat in, um, you know, in the headlines. It's, it's been a company that's had a lot of visibility, almost as if it was a public company, even though it's a private company. Mm. And so the press has really wanted to follow the company closely. And as a result of that, um, I thought the cultural changes were, were, that were necessary was, was first and foremost, um, I've always believed in building companies, as, as I said before, that really believed in their mission and their, in their purpose. And so uh, when I stepped into Zenefits, I felt like it had been built with a very mercenary attitude, not a missionary attitude. Oh, so, gotcha. you know, first and foremost, what I tried to do was to um, – think pretty differently about how do we, how do we make sure that this company's purpose is first and foremost in the way that we're 
thinking about how we organize the business and how we hire and how we fire and all the rest of it. Um, and, and there's some things around cultural changes that are pretty necessary to me. There's kind of four major steps here. The, the first thing was um, before I had gotten to Zenefits, it was the fastest growing SaaS company on the planet. And so it would have been crazy of me to have uh, believed that we could just change everything about the business and everything about the culture or that it was even necessary to. So the first step was to keep what was working. And there was a lot about the company that was in fact working. It was healthy. It was actually um, very performant. But the second step, um, the, the second thing that we tried to do around culture was we tried to um, really establish some new rules, some new ways of thinking about what we're going to go do. And that, that meant radically changing some of the things that we'd done previously and and putting some new guidelines in place about how we wanted to operate how we wanted to treat customers how we wanted to treat partners that sort of thing the third thing was was really hiring a new leadership team um, the fastest way to create culture change is to make sure that you've got people that you um, uh, basically could communicate in shorthand around culture and how we do things here and so getting um, the right team in place was really important. And I went about doing that almost immediately. So just then, to touch on that real quick, you sure. said to communicate in shorthand. What you're, what you're uh, talking about is having a team that is all on the same page that you don't have to, to talk to each individual. Okay, let me lay this out for you. Is that what you're talking about? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, that, so that it's almost intuitively um, – aligned and connected amongst all of us about how we're going to operate, how we're going to behave, the things that we're going to value, the way we're going to measure success, all those kinds of things. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then the, the fourth, the fourth step in that process is really making sure that every single decision you take from that point forward is made with this culture and these set and these values in mind. You know, so that all the decisions are made through that lens or made through that through that prism. And so um, that culture shift was really the initial priority that needed to happen. And then what came out of that was, you know, a new business model where we went from a, a freemium model of giving our software away for free to actually charging for it in a SaaS model. Uh, we decided to no longer be in the insurance business ourselves as a digital broker, but instead rely on brokers, third-party brokers, to build their brokerage on Zenefits and on our platform um, so that we're no longer sort of going it alone and we're no longer thumbing our nose at the insurance industry, but instead trying to embrace the insurance industry. So those kinds of changes all had to happen very quickly. And then, and then to your point, you know, we've radically reshaped uh, just the size of the company. The company had, had become very bloated. It had had um, uh, a situation where it, the the company had spent so much money that it's almost a an embarrassment of of expenditure that occurred, which was great in terms of we built some great technology, some great products, but it made it very difficult for the company to sustain itself. And so, you know, where we sit today now, three years later, is we've grown the business. Uh, 123% compounded annually. Um, three years in a row, we've grown the company at, at more than a 60% year-over-year clip. Um, 
know, we've added, since I joined the company, more than 9,000 new customers. We're adding about 400 new customers a month. Um, You know, so we're, we've really, it's really been a a satisfying thing to see a company that clearly had gone through some things, um, basically be able to take a pause, rethink and reimagine itself to some degree, make some changes that were very difficult at the time, but very necessary. And now three years later, be in a situation where at least pre-pandemic, we were growing very, very quickly. So when you talk about uh, creating, hiring and creating a new leadership team, does that come after those 420 got let go? Or That's is that, right. Yeah. So you, you went ahead and, and cut the fat real quick and then started working on building back up. I'm sure those that you didn't let go were <laughs> walking on eggshells. Yeah, it was a difficult time. I remember the board had even offered to make those changes before I actually assumed uh, the new job. And I actually, I told them that actually I wanted to be the one to do it because I felt like with all of the quote survivors who are still in the company, who um, very um likely will have some level of survivor's guilt, right? We, we were letting go of employees that had done nothing wrong. You know, they, uh, they, they, this was, they weren't being let go because of performance reasons or because of anything that they did. This was because of really, really lousy leadership. Right. And so um, I felt like it was really important for me to be the one to try to figure out quickly how to make these really hard decisions. And it was very hard to even, you know, in, in, in the space of a few weeks, decide who stays and who goes. But what I what I knew to be true is we had to get to a radically different place in terms of the total headcount the company had, and and sort of the the investment model that the company was was going to be following going forward. And so by by doing that pretty quickly, uh, that then allowed me to then think about based on the resources that we had in place what kinds of leaders did I need in a lot of the critical jobs? And so that's when I went about installing a new head of engineering and a new head of marketing and a new head of sales. Um, You know, I hired a new CFO. Um, We hired a new uh, chief people officer. You know, we really very uh, consciously tried to handpick and curate the leadership team um, knowing that we were still going to be running a fairly big business, but with, radically fewer resources. So you bring in these leaders and then you start giving them a little bit more rope. Would you consider yourself a very hands-on CEO or do you hire in, kind of uh, give an overview and let them go to work? Yeah, I I think um, a, a little bit of that answer is a little bit dependent on both the size, scale, and type of company that you're operating. I think in our case, um, I attempt to do a little bit of both. I think you have to be as near to the ground and as in the weeds as is necessary to be conversant about what's going on in the business and what the various tensions are and the challenges and, and, and all the rest. But at the same time, um, in a perfect world, you want to hire not just strong enough people to be able to do these jobs somewhat autonomously or independently, but quite frankly, I'm always looking to try to hire people that are better than me in their respective areas, right? Where they have more domain expertise, 
The worst thing possible is to hire somebody and then potentially be obstructing their ability to get the job done because somehow you think what you know may be actually more important than what they know. So I've tried to to try to do that in a very different way. And of course, you know, my uh, career background really comes out of a number of leadership positions in sales and in marketing and in business development and in M&A. And so those are really the areas where I really have to work hard at not being too hands-on and too um, involved because uh, my tendency obviously is to rely on what I think I know about in those areas and to want to insert myself potentially in ways that are maybe not always helpful. Um, But in general, I think, again, try to be involved and engaged as much as is necessary in order to really understand what's happening with the business. But for for goodness sake, get out of the way of the the experts that you've hired and let them run the parts of the company that that you've hired them to, to, to lead. This probably the single most difficult thing for a small business owner to do is to let go of those reins. You bring someone in because you need to, you're growing, and then you uh, micromanage them. I, I mean, yeah. you, you, know, you can uh, use an example of most, most team sports, right? You've got the head coach, but they have assistant coaches and they are there to coach up those smaller groups. The, sure, the head coach has to oversee it all, but boy, when you start micromanaging, it just it can lead well, to catastrophe. It's one of the most demotivating things a leader, uh, an owner of a small business can can do to their folks. And so um, I find, and what we talk about with thousands and thousands and thousands of our customers, is that having this conversation um, uh, and have it be a, an ongoing conversation between the leader or the owner of the business and the people that have come in um, to help that person run it and grow it and drive it, having that conversation be an ongoing one is really an important one. Like, how am I doing? How's that feeling? How's that working for you? Is that, and and to the degree that you can kind of make it not emotional, not drama filled, not difficult, not awkward, doesn't have to get weird, but you do need to be able to talk about it. And I think the, the best companies typically have, figured out a way to be able to have that discussion in a way that's very productive for everybody. So we talked a little bit about uh, the house cleaning that happened early on. Tech companies are very well known for having a, a different sort of business model, their culture, their workspace. You talk about, you know, Facebook and Amazon, you know, Amazon is a form of a tech company and, and Zappos, very open. Uh, they have games. They have all sorts of things going on that old school business people would look at and say, how can you get anything done? Yeah. Now, that, Zenefits was taking that to the extreme before you got there. How did you keep that fun aspect while still making sure people got their work done and kind of tightening the bolts down on some of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think it starts with, first of all, building, you know, a culture of performance where, where people um, first of all value their, um, their role and their position in the company 
first and foremost, from a position of, you know, how much can I learn as a result of being here? So we have a really strong orientation around learning and around, you know, sort of stretching people and giving them new and different opportunities, not only in their current job function, but in, occasionally it's expanding their mandate or giving them, you know, new responsibilities that go beyond what they are originally hired to go do. And so that, that learning dynamic, we think is a really important one because we think it helps create a level of engagement by all of the employees because most people really react strongly to learning new things, learning new skills, being asked to do things beyond maybe what they were originally being asked to, to go do. We also believe that it can be fun. So we also have, have really tried to create opportunities where um, you know people feel like the experimentation and the ability to try new things and innovate inside the company, no matter what your role is. You know, you're not just innovating as an engineer. You can be innovative as a lawyer. You can be innovative as somebody who's, you know, trying to uh, build good content marketing capability on our website. I mean, it, it, it can come in a variety of different ways, but we feel like that's really where the fun is. It's not about ping pong tables and beanbag chairs and, um, you know, uh, climbing walls in the lobby. Mm. Now, again, all of that exists within about three miles of where I'm sitting, <laughs> but, but, but we don't think that actually that's the way that you actually engage employees best. We think you do it in those other areas where you're um, helping them to develop the skills that they're going to need, not only now, but for the future. And where a lot of that is kind of preparatory uh, for what it is they want to accomplish, whether it be at Zenefits or whether, you know, uh, they go on from Zenefits as they inevitably are going to. Um, I say to our employees all the time, you know, a big part of my job as I see it is I want to make this to be the best job you've ever had. You know, I want this to be the best work experience you've ever had. And hopefully they'll look back on their time at Zenovitz and go, man, that was awesome. I learned so much. I worked for such a good boss. I had such great peers. Uh, we were solving such important problems. And if you can get people, I think, in that mindset, um, that's what's fun. That's what's exciting. That's what's, you know, pretty encouraging, I think, to most folks. It's not really about uh, being served lunch and dinner every day and all the rest of it. Now, in order to compete, some of that is necessary. You sure. know, it's not sure. to say that Zenovitz, even to this day, still doesn't provide some of those perks. We do. Um, but I think that's, that's really less our emphasis and more of it is really around what drives our business and, and what drives our employees in terms of their own career development. Once employees feel entitled to receive those things, uh, sometimes their push for excellence gets diminished, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, I think it, it, it's difficult. I spend a lot of time talking to um, senior leaders and CEOs that are, are closer to my age, more in their 50s, uh, rather than being in their 20s and 30s. And I, I think the one thing I would say is that I, I think – people in my generation tend to misread millennial and Gen Z employees pretty substantially. You know, first of all, 
we need to get a handle on what drives that those generations in the workforce because next year they're 80% of the workforce. Exactly. So, so it's important to understand what drives them. What I think is really cool about those generations is, is that, as I said before, purpose is everything. I mean, they're just not willing to work somewhere that doesn't stand for something, that doesn't have a strong opinion about what they're doing for their customers. And, and that's true whether you're talking about the local uh, coffee shop and the barista that's making your coffee in that, in that shop, or if you're talking about a technology company. And so I actually think that orientation forces companies to be better. It forces all of us, I think, to be more connected to our mission or to our purpose. And I think that's a good thing. So I, I, think, I think some of that is really true. Now, I do think that to the degree that we kind of play into some of the entitlements, that's a problem. And, and I think it, 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 you know, some of the entitlement um, stuff that gets written about and talked about quite a bit, uh, I don't think is nearly as common as people sort of envision that it might be, especially in Silicon Valley or in Seattle or in Austin, Texas, or right. in, you know, Silicon Slopes or whatever. I, I, I don't think that that's nearly as common as people think. But I do think from time to time, some of that, um, you know, is, it does take hold and it does actually sap organizational performance. Are you like most people in front of your phone and computer all the time? Computers can really be a pain in the neck. Many people slouch or strain their necks while working at the computer as well as during their stressful commute. A recent study shows how jutting the head forward to read more closely compresses the neck and can lead to neck and shoulder problems, as well as pain going into the arms and hands. Laura with Abandon Your Aches Massage is all about holistic approach to health and helping you live the life you deserve. She has years of experience in many types of massage therapy, ranging from light-touch cranial sacral therapy to deep-tissue trigger point therapy. Not only that, she can provide helpful stretches and has an entire line of essential oils that can keep you living your best life even after you leave her office. Let Laura help you return to your daily activities. Schedule a massage at ayamassagecda.com. Abandon your aches massage. Relief, relax, refresh. We talked off air about the opportunity that this sort of thing that we're all experiencing it, it presents all sorts of opportunities if you even look, and it's not hard to see. Yeah. Uh, my daughter is an account manager at Slack, and, and virtually everyone is working virtually at Slack. Yeah. How has the lockdown affected the way Zenefits has done business? Uh, are, I mean, I'm guessing you are not all there. Are you in your office right now, or are you at your home office? I'm at home. Okay. So. Yep. The, the lights are dark at the Zenefits offices around. Yeah, the- we, we made the decision in late February, which is quite early, if you remember back to the timeline. Yeah. Um, and we actually uh, went through a, um, a temporary work from home order for all of our employees from March 1st to March 3rd, because we wanted to test, did we have the systems? Did we have sure. the policies? Did we have everything that we needed to be able to operate this way? And, um, you know, I think very fortunately for us, but I do think it was somewhat conscious on our part, um, you know, we're able to be every bit as effective and productive 
working from home and remotely as we are working in our offices. And I think, you know, the the effect that I can project, I think, downstream is um, I think we will have fewer offices around the world. I think we will have smaller square footage and smaller office footprints in the places where we are doing business. I think we will offer a lot more flexible work arrangements for a lot more uh, employees for sure. Smaller and, travel expenses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think t is going to look really different. Obviously, you know, uh, you mentioned Slack. Um, they're, they're a big partner of ours as is a number of other companies, you know, for a lot of us, this crisis, even though it's so painful and so scary, um, it, it, it does demonstrate that many of us are kind of an imperative at this, at this particular juncture, right? Because companies do need to rely on certain technologies and certain capabilities to be able to do what they need to do um, under the circumstances. And obviously, Zenovitz is a company that, that um, is helping companies to do that. Not to mention the fact that we've processed thousands of payroll loans and we've um, you know created new windows um, and new applications for the new windows that have been established to get more small companies the healthcare that they need. Um, you know we've done a variety of things that are sort of COVID nineteen related, but yeah, I think the effect on the workplace and the workforce is going to be you know profound. I think that um, in the same way that travel was really really affected post nine eleven. Yeah. I think the workforce and the workplace is going to look pretty radically different coming out of this pandemic. And I think the companies that are preparing for that right now have a chance to thrive in the, in the new normal. And the ones that frankly are not thinking about it, working on it, or, or frankly getting ready for this, for whatever that new normal may look like, I think are going to have a very difficult time. It's interesting because face to face, you know, there's really nothing like being in the same room face to face, being able to shake that hand. But when you don't have travel time or commute time or a lot of these things that suck time out of our life and we cannot get time back, we can make more yeah. money, but you can't get yeah. time back, right? Uh, I have heard more people get getting so much more done through these virtual channels. Again, not that they, not that we're like, we're only going to go that route, but it sure is nice to know that's an option that can uh, help facilitate more, uh, yeah. more fat, right? Yeah. It, it's not true for every industry, obviously. Sure, sure. It's not true for every business model. And there's some businesses that are absolutely an in-person ex experience and there's no, there's no avoiding that, but I think I think you're right that um, you know in this situation for some industries, I think we're learning that this is not nearly the death knell that people maybe thought it would be. I know for us, since March 1st, we've built four brand new products. So just just in the last 60 days, um, our engineering team has actually been more productive than normal, and we have engineers that are distributed all over the world. I mean, let's they, talk, they yeah, let's talk about that a sec, because uh, that's a fantastic segue into this. You created more products. Is that out of necessity? You saw a need? Uh, was there an underserved uh, market 
that you that all of a sudden just opened up because of this whole lockdown? What were the steps that went into those new products? Yeah, you know, so for, it's a great question because for us, a lot of it was in response to the pandemic itself. It was seeing opportunities and reacting to feedback we were getting from our customers around things that would really, really be helpful to them in a situation that now looks like this, where they physically actually can't even get to their place of work right. and where they can't actually even get to some of the, uh, the articles, you know, the, 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 the things that we all think about um, that HR people rely on that are tucked away in a, in a filing cabinet somewhere or that are, you know, available to them in a physical way, but they're not available to them in a digital way. Well, that's, that's literally what Zenefits does is we are able to digitize and automate all of the back office capabilities that it takes to run a business. And so, um, you know, for us, this was another opportunity to basically really lean into our purpose and making it easier for what we like to say is the 99.7% of the U.S. economy that drives what goes on here. Because as everyone has seen, you know, small business is such a vital part of what makes our entire economy go. And so that's, I think that was a lot of what inspired a lot of this additional innovation for us the last 60 days was partly seeing what needed to be done and, and, and recognizing we need to get on with it. But then I think secondarily, it's understanding that there was nothing holding us back from being able to build these products in the way that we always would even though we're not necessarily doing it side by side in, in the office together. And so, um, yeah, the productivity for us is as good or better uh, than it was when everyone was physically coming into offices either in North America or around the world. How about uh, just being able to rely on the talent that you've hired in for some of these positions, the engineers, and saying, guys, we, we need to create this and we need to create this quickly. And it yeah. needs to be right the first time. Yeah, I would just say in collab- on the collaboration front, Phil, um, you know, it's, it's really been interesting to me. And I think I've, got, I've, I've had a lot of experience at this as to how much better we've been able to collaborate as a team. I mean, uh, I was saying to someone the other day, um, you know, tech companies um, – are somewhat notorious for having lots of team get togethers, a lot of gaggles, a lot of all hands meetings. And uh, we don't have a lot of those, but we have an all hands meeting in in the current situation about every other week. And when we do, I mean, that's four or 500 people all jumping on a zoom call. But I will tell you our all hands work way better over zoom than they do in person. When I have to simulcast seven offices into a single meeting yeah, and it makes it impossible for people to chat questions and to, you know, be able. So my point really is, is that in the current situation that we all find ourselves in, I know I personally am in touch with way more employees. Right. I'm able to have way more interactions. Part of it's through Slack, part of it's through email, part of it's through zoom and WebEx um, some of it is also just through, uh, uh, the very nature of the fact that we're, we're now sort of thinking more collaboratively about how to pull people and draw people into certain conversations. Whereas before, um, I think we sort of assumed the right things would happen when we're physically co-located. 
Now you can't make those assumptions. You have to be more conscious and overt right. about making sure the right people are involved. And so anyway, I, I, it, it's been a very interesting, um, I think, experience for us. And it's been a very interesting sort of revelation for me that, you know, for, from our perspective, we think we can be every bit as uh, capable as we ever have been under this, under this set of unfortunate circumstances. I am not a huge fan of the term new norm, and it gets tossed around a lot. But yeah. what you just touched on is the collaborative uh, a new paradigm that can be the new norm. I mean, that is a complete positive, right? That is a positive that will should live on no matter what happens after this lockdown, quarantine, pandemic, when this is all in the rearview yeah. mirror. And some of these uh, positives that can come out of that, uh, that we can sustain as the new paradigm within our businesses and companies. I mean, I, I think it's going to change, uh, you know, when, when as employees now have figured out that they don't have to commute an hour each way to their offices and um, that they don't have to put up with maybe less than optimal public transportation and they don't have to deal with the expense of, of coming into major metropolitan cities because trying to park in Seattle or Portland or San Francisco or Salt Lake or whatever is a complete bitch from time to time. That is not easy. Um, Tell us so what you really think about that. <laughs> I think all of those dynamics are going are gonna to change the way our communities are interacting. Right. And I, I, again, I don't, I don't want to be um, too shrill uh, uh, about how different it's going to be. But the reality is, is it's going to be nothing like what we knew before. And that adjustment is going to be really important, especially for small businesses who have to figure out how to navigate this new landscape. So probably 99% of our listeners uh, to the Business Buffet are small business owners that are really trying to wear all sorts of hats, navigate everything in business on their own. I know you have a, a board of directors that you have to answer to, but when it comes to day-to-day -day business, how do you handle the fact that you are at the top and there really is nobody else to answer to or ask for guidance? Yeah, so I, I think every small business owner or somebody that's in a position to be running a small business, you know, can relate to the fact that, you know, this is a lonely job. This is not, you don't have a ton of, places um, to go for help or guidance or advice or counsel. Um, you know, in, in my situation, I'm fortunate because I've been doing this a while. And so I've been able to develop um, some great mentorship relationships. I, I've got some peers that uh, I know and trust and respect um, who have, you know, proven track records. And um, that gives me, you know, an, an ability to ask questions, be vulnerable, um, not have all the answers. Cause, um, you know, nobody I, does. I, I tell our company all the time, we're going to get a bunch of things wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make mistakes, but one of my number one things that I really try to make sure that I'm responsible for is to make sure we're not confused. You know, we're not confused about what we're focused on. We're not confused about, what success looks like. We're not confused about the measurements that matter to us. We're not confused about, you know, really the, the basic things that kind of drive and, you know, make a company successful. And so 
And so for me, it's, it's really that network of relationships that I've got that I really rely on pretty substantially. Some of it is, you know, the board that I've assembled um, because I've got a, a really good board that, that is really helpful on a lot of different topics. But a lot of it is, is, is the broader community that I've been working to kind of curate for myself for the last 20 years. So you said something very early on about the four major steps that you took uh, when you uh, took control of Zenefits or at Zenefits. Yeah. And one of them, number four, was making sure every decision you make reflects the new culture and values, right? Yeah. And so I think this happens a lot. Small business uh, owners, they get paralyzed not knowing which direction to go. I think a lot of those times can be, uh, you can answer the question pretty easily when you get back to your why, the, the fundamental reason you're in business, yep. it kind of almost answers itself, doesn't it? So where you say, yeah, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to make wrong moves. That's why we're all human. This, these things happen. want to learn from those mistakes. And hopefully everything that we're doing, even if it's wrong or it's a mistake, they're still reflective of the new culture and value of the company, right? 100%. One of my, one of my favorite books um, kind of talks about having both tactical and adaptive performance. Now, tactical performance is all about when things go according to plan. Adaptive performance is all about how do we basically pivot, adjust, tweak, modify when all of a sudden things don't go based on, on how we thought they were going to. And of course, Every business has got to be able to do both because there's no reason to have a plan if you don't think you can execute to it. We all need a plan, right. but every, every plan is, is going to go awry. There are going to be surprises, new things come up, things you didn't foresee, pandemics. You know, there's, no, there's no telling what, 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 comes out of the, what comes out of the blue. And so um, one of the, one of the th reasons I love that, that book and I think it's particularly useful um, when you start thinking about company building is you've got to be able to actually think about both. And it's that adaptive uh, performance piece that is so important because you're right. Um, there, there's going to be a need to be able to, to navigate based on the facts on the ground and every business is going to have to be able to adjust. Said that in the introduction, one thing we can count on in business, doesn't matter how big, how small, is there are going to be difficult times. There are going to be storms they have to navigate. By the way, it's real easy to be a great leader when things are going well. <laughs> it's yeah. when things aren't going well. That's when you really see the systems in place and how you weather those storms. And this well, is it's funny, Phil, I, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt you. No, no, no. The people have asked me before. Um, wow, Jay, you know, you're, you're so transparent. In, in fact, um, I use the term radical transparency because I really believe that when people uh, have voted with their feet to be a part of your business, they deserve to know what's going on. And again, for small businesses, this is often a tripping point. This is an area where sometimes people are very reluctant to be too open about what's really going on in the business. What are we challenged by? What are we struggling with? You know, what answers do we not have yet about how we could be performing better? But that radical transparency, I think, helps you to sort of earn the right to make mistakes and recover from them and have employees at least understand 
the, the pivots and the adjustments that need to be made. And as you said, and you said it very well, um, it's easy to be transparent when everything's going well. That's really easy. When things are, are when we're scuffling, when we're having a hard time, boy, that's when you're really tested around being transparent with your team and with your customers. That, that, that's a very difficult thing to go do. But I think by building that muscle, by building that behavior, I think you end up building a more healthy company. So we're about out of time. I'm going to wrap up with a couple super important questions. And one, you just teased us with what that book was. I would like to know what your top three books that you've read are. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I know you said in the opening that I'm a reader, and I really am. Um, and I, I, I feel like in some ways it, it, it's amazing to me in my career how the right things have come to me at the right time just because I've been curious enough to always want to be reading and understanding whatever else. There, there's, uh, you asked for three books? I did. So, so the three I would mention right now, for every small business – owner and and anybody that's got major ambitions it you need to read the hard thing about hard things by uh, Ben Horowitz yep I've got that one yep phenomenal entrepreneurial book and I, I think maybe the best book I've ever read on on the difficulties of decision making and 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 um, and, and frankly the importance of facing head-on the stuff that's really hard um, the second one is actually the one I, I mentioned around tactical and adaptive performance, which is a, a book called Primed to Perform. Primed uh, to Perform. Primed to Perform. And it's written by a, a husband and wife out of uh, McKinsey that now have their own consulting firm. And it's, a, it's just a great book about total motivation and how to drive inspiration across your company. Um, so I really recommend that one. And then the last one that actually is sitting here on my desk that um, I'm just now starting, but I'm very intrigued by is called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And it's, it's basically, it, it talks about the art of kind of turning trials into triumph. Nice. And, um, um, you know, given what we're all going through right now, it seemed like that was a particularly appropriate thing to look, to look at and understand better. and, and like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of new into it, probably a third of the way through, but I'm very much enjoying it. Very interesting. Uh, interesting. If we're not growing, we're dying, right? So yeah. if you don't, if it's really good to be curious and to always want to just fill your head with good information. And look, not all the books are going to have that impact, but you don't know until you open the book, right? Yeah. And so that last question I'm going to ask, and it's super, super important. I want you to brace yourself. Okay. What is your handicap in golf? <laughs> oh, I wish I could play it with these days. I am a uh, 6.8 index. 6.8 index. Gotcha. Yeah. So I wished it was, uh, you know, uh, when people ask you about your, your handicap and you tell them and they go, oh, gosh, you must be a pretty good player. And, and the, the answer to that for me, and I, I'm, I'm guessing for you, it's so relative. <laughs> I, I, I mean, for some, I guess that's pretty good. But for those of us that are struggling with the game that you'll never master, it, anyway, I, I, I've not been on the golf course much the last four or five months, and I'm, 
hoping maybe over the course of the summer, I'll be able to get out there and play a little bit more. Jay, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, I know this is gold. Uh, any last parting uh, words of advice or wisdom that you can give some small business owners that have their ear right up to their speaker right now? Yeah, I, I don't know that I have any pearls of wisdom. Um, I, I, I know I'm really grateful to small and mid-sized businesses for what they do for my company. Uh, we learn so much. Uh, and frankly, we get so much more from our customers in some ways than, than we're able to give them in terms of, of what we do uh, for them. Um, I, I, I'm a, a somebody that really both I think understands, but really respects and appreciates how difficult it is to be a small business owner, the passion that it requires. And I, I would just, um, I would just mostly just want to offer the fact that I'm grateful to that um, cohort of businesses for uh, placing their trust and benefits and, and, and working with us. And for those that have never done it before, um, you know, I'd, I'd certainly look forward to, meeting you and seeing if there's some way that we might be able to be helpful to you at some point down the road. Well, that sounds fantastic. Thank you again and continued success. Thanks, Phil. At F1 for Help, we offer a variety of services in-house and on-site, ranging from estimates to our popular general maintenance program and reloading your operating system as part of a wipe and reload. If you want to take the cost out of IT, we recommend signing up for the F1 for Help Manages Services program. If you have any questions, please give F1 for Help a call at 208-687-0183. Thank you for listening to the Business Buffet Ingredients. We hope we tempted your business taste buds with something sweet. Please share this podcast with your friends and show that you are the smartest person in the room. Visit businessbuffet.page and sample all the flavors of the Business Buffet. We hope you eat hearty in business.